So we get to embark into the world of sutta study together. Let's give ourselves a minute, uh, especially for everyone who has just arrived, uh, to really 100% arrive, to settle in in your place, uh, come to the ground, come to the first base, the first foundation of mindfulness of the body. Really feel your body present in this space. This body of uh, solid, liquid, gas, heat, and coolness. These elemental properties. Solidity of the spine, stretching upwards. Let it be light if you can. And relax downwards from there. You can feel the fluidity, the ease, sense of ease in the kind of momentary elemental stability of the earth element, the fluidity of the water element, warmth and coolness. And with the flow of the breath, the air, internally, externally, space in this environment, sense of calm. Calming of consciousness. Of mental fabrications. Calming, relaxing, unbinding. And the calming of the physical fabrication. Establishing yourself in an easeful, fully present awareness. And let's gather our intention. Not only the intent to be present and see and know what is, but the intention to end ignorance. through becoming aware of what's true and actual with the facility of the Dhamma via insight into and developing wisdom into the truth, the nature of all things and their actuality that is the Dhamma. The intent that you've come here for. Not only the Dhamma in theory, but the Dhamma in the practice of the path and its realization. Let your intent solidly establish itself in that. 
And if there's any feeling of firmness or solidity or strength in that, let yourself know what that feels like in the body, in the heart, in the mind. And allow that feeling to spread and welcome it to establish itself in you. the firm establishment of your intent in being here. Of our intent in being here together. Held together. Manifest together. A strength with ease. With fluidity. Namo tassa bhagavatam arahatam sammam Namo tassa bhagavatam arahatam Sama sampotasam Namatasa Pagawatong Arahato Sama sampotasam Putang damang sangkang namasamin So, in Buddhist history, we understand a very lot of people uh, to have woken up via meditation, to have awoken successively in the stages of the path via meditation. Also, a very large number, some teachers even say the majority, have awoken whilst listening to and whilst looking into the Dhamma. So I'd just like to mention that because that's a living possibility for all of us, each and every one of us right now. You may have experienced that in the past, whether it was a small aha and opening or a big one, And here we are together now, about to look into the Dhamma once again. So I just like to open up that that possibility. Yes. Um, The what is it like that picture of the flame? uh, When there's the spark and when there's the fuel, then the the candlelight candlelight comes right. In this case, the nutriment of the Dhamma is going to be coming forth. And if there's that spark of your awareness, that, that spark of your insight, then you have, what is it? Light of the Dhamma, illumination in Dhamma. So, let's go into this together. Uh, 
I don't know if the friend who served uh, uh, in, in drawing yesterday would be willing to again or someone else would be willing to be, to be on call for that at some time. Yeah? Oh, great. Um, so, um, uh, I think, backside, sure. <laughs> You know, I, I live in a forest that has been logged and I'm so sensitive to the thought, we're trying to regrow the forest. <laughs> I'm so sensitive to the thought of the, of the use of the, of the paper. I think part I would like to use this, this paper here and I might need just a little bit, maybe just you know, the back of another paper is fine. I think it should work. Just use tape. Hmm. Okay, so, <laughs> you know, really, I, uh, some people say, you know, uh, uh, I, I actually, I didn't wish for an iPad, and a friend gave it, and yet I also appreciate that, you know, it has, I, I don't know how many reams of paper I haven't, haven't used with using this, and many of these things, it's like we were talking about karma yesterday, there's the dark and the bright aspect, and I wouldn't say an iPad is a purely bright karma. <laughs> uh, although it has self-illumination. Um, but, uh, <laughs> and I appreciate I can turn that up or down <laughs> as, as we can with this mind and body. <laughs> yes. um, so I recognize, I, I personally believe that's, that's a mixed dark and bright karma. Yeah. Um, so uh, anyway, I'm I'm glad not uh, we're so careful about paper at our hermitage, uh, and reuse every scrap of paper, even paper shopping bags, even paper boxes for notes to one another, <laughs> and, and making little signs and this kind of thing. We see great. Ten pages of. Wow, right there. We rescued it. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so um, I, I, would like your, I would like your help then. And um, we have, uh, fortunately, we've discovered those reams, I mean, those sheets of paper before it was discarded, yes? <laughs> just, just there in the center. Uh, so uh, a few years ago, this is a story. Um, you don't you don't need your own notepads quite yet, whether paper or electronic. Um, a few years ago, um, I was not so far away from here at the Angela Center, uh, which has also served in offering you know smaller retreats uh, over time. And um, I was at the Angela Center, and uh, during the night then. Uh, there, there had been teaching about the aggregates and about dependent origination. And then during the night, I had a dream, and uh, a, a lucid dream. And in this dream, it was up near the, the top of a mountain in a foreign country, which I had the idea was in Southeast Asia. And uh, up, up at the top of this mountain, it's like there was memory stored in the cave there. And in that cave, that memory, what I saw is that there had been several Buddhist monks who had come and climbed up a steep trail up, up to that cave. And then they thought that they won't go down 
until they become arahantas. And at some stage, staying up in that cave, they got the idea that they had become arahantas and that they could fly. And so they stepped off the mountainside. But it turned out they hadn't, they hadn't developed the ability to fly yet. Not that they didn't have it, but they hadn't worked out how to do it yet. <laughs> and so they, they plummeted to their death. Yeah, and uh, looking around in that in that cave, then this is the power of the dream. Yeah, looking around in that cave, I saw that in the center of the cave. Did you ever see in like a lion's cage, like they'll put this big piece of metal bolted into the floor, and then there's a chain attached to that piece of metal that then goes around the collar that's on the lion. There was something that looked like that. I also thought it looked like the plug that goes in a bathtub, that goes in and, and plugs, and then it's got its its little links that link into each other, and uh, then you know if you you pull on it, you can undo that, right? And then it opens up, and the water will flow out. It, it won't be blocked uh, in the tub anymore. So first, I saw it, I understood it like that chain on the lion's neck, which is so strong that even with the power and and uh, ferociousness of the lion, you know, not meant to be able to be broken, right? So unbreakable chain. And uh, then, then vision turned to seeing it like the plug in the bathtub, and and then I had the inclination: why not pull the plug? Because at the end of that chain, what I saw in the dream was what seemed like the spirits of those monks. And it was that attachment to the place and the attachment to self that was still there, even in a kind of a a subtle form, that was holding it that was what was holding it in place in a kind of stasis or holding pattern. Not really fixed, subject to impermanence, but like, you know, in a holding pattern anyway. Yeah. And this is just a dream. Uh, um, So I had the thought, (laughs) why not pull the plug? And so I pulled it. In pulling the plug, then there was this sense of the release. The release. And with that, I woke up. So Ajahn Amaro was also there. And so then, uh, I think it was, we had, had a little breakfast together in the area that was set for the teachers and Sangha to have breakfast. And uh, I mentioned this to him, and he said, you know... I can't really imitate Ajahn Amaro really very well. <laughs> uh, he said, indeed. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> uh, not long ago, I heard this story about these monks who had in in northeastern north northeastern Thailand who had taken this vow and gone up gone up into the mountain cave and then they 
thought they had become arahantas apparently and they then jumped down and, and pummeled to their death and then people were saying the cave was haunted. I mean, Thai people love ghost stories. So uh, you may not make too much out of them sometimes. It's like just a culture of fun ghost stories. Um, so then he went, hmm, with this kind of special Ajahnamuro kind of way. <laughs> and um, then he asked me for some details from the dream, uh, which I, I provided. And hmm. uh, So just a coincidence there. For whatever reason uh, that connected into uh, later, um, later on in the day, then connected into something else. With the cycle of dependent origination, there's one part of it that in Pali is called tanha. Now it's your time. Black marker is fine. White marker won't work. Uh, and welcome to yet yeah, go to the, an empty page for it. And uh, do any of you brave souls who have studied Pali know what tanha is? Independent origination? What? Craving, thirst. Yes, literally means thirst. And in the Buddha's very first teaching, you know, one of the, uh, one of the things that he had uh, special insight about uh, in his very first teaching, well, in, in his enlightenment experience, as it then appears in the uh, turning the wheel of the Dhamma or setting into motion the wheel of the Dhamma is about tanha, about this thirst or craving or desire, uh, and three kinds of tanha. Do you know how, how to spell tanha? Great. Uh, so uh, go ahead and, and write it, and then you can put thirst, uh, craving, uh, desire, even like longing is a is a form, and uh, then three kinds of three kinds, yes. So in Pali, bhava tanha, vibhava tanha, and kama tanha. And kama tanha is the craving for sensual experience, and in fact, it's a craving for pleasurable sensual experience <laughs> not just any old sensual experience but there in, implicit in it is the hope that there will be some sense of gratification <laughs> and, and this is the throw of the dice right <laughs> may or may not be so and even if it is so will it last and even if it does last will we still like it tomorrow <laughs> so this is the the, the risk in it uh, so bhava tanha B-H-A-V-A, Bhavatanha, we Bhavatanha, V-I, B-H-A-V-A, and Kamatanha, these these three. So the sutta we're going to be looking at is looking at, um, gives gives a bit of a look at that uh, thirst for uh, sensual experience, uh, sensual thirst, sensual desire. So I just wanted to uh, prefix uh, or, or introduce with this. And um, that the bhavatanha, although it might not be specifically aimed at sensual pleasures, what's bhavatanha? 
Yeah, sometimes called desire for existence or for being or for becoming. I like becoming best, personally, um, and I'll tell you why. Uh, there is an implication in all these kinds of tanha, this thirst, this craving, that what we have right now is not enough. That more is needed for there to be satisfaction. And thus, it is a dissatisfying, it isn't an experience of not perfect, lasting satisfaction, but one of, of dissatisfaction, which propels the, that's a really important part, and dukkha part, uh, this dissatisfaction that, that, you know, that's part of the, part of the cycle of craving is, you know, it, it, it means not perfect right now, not enough, not done. Something more is needed. Yeah. So, if you were to go shopping, in a place where clothing was being sold and you were to see the uh, some clothes hanging up and you thought, oh, I would look good in that. Better than what I'm wearing right now. <laughs> then even all three of these kinds may be present. The pavatanha and bhavatanha, the, they... It's like they go so closely together. It's like you think this will be nice. And together with that is the Wibhava that says, that that judges the other things as being not as nice. If you think this would be better, then the other thing is not as good. And so there's the Wibhava, the desire that the other, you know, be lessened or stop. The, the Wibhava part. And, and even when Wibhava is, is strong, like, uh, you know, somebody gives you the new clothes for Christmas and you put them on and you look in the mirror and you're like, ugh, <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> uh, that, that disliking, and you think, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, then with that disliking that is part of the Wibhava, uh, the you know, the, the, aversive, the aversive part of it, not desiring that, not wanting, you don't want to wear that anymore. Uh, you definitely don't want to wear it to the Thanksgiving gathering or uh, what it may be. Then the power part, the thinking there's something better. Something else is better. The power part's also active. Yeah. So I just wanted to, uh, wanted to introduce, uh, introduce those because they're going to be uh, I, I think, to my mind, an important part of what we're going to be looking at, which is the uh, Anencha Sapaya Sutta, number 106 of the Majjhimanikaya. It's going to be a little while now, so please be comfortable. So I have two copies of the sutta here. This iPad has uh, access to insight loaded on it. One of the things that I, I kind of like about it. And so I have uh, Venerable Tanisaro Bhikkhu's uh, translation of the uh, Anencha Sapaya Sutta uh, here as well. And uh, as, uh, as Andrea was saying, 
uh, earlier on she said, you know, one, one thing that she likes about this site is there's a link and you can just go over to the Pali and you can go back and forth. So for those who are you know, Pali enthusiasts in any way or find, find insight in looking into the Pali words and have, uh, have studied a little bit, that possibility is there. So that's something that I like to do too. Yeah. And if there's a question, I can just look at the Pali and uh, check and see what does it say in the source text. Um, kind of a cool thing to be able to do. Anenchasa Payasutta. Uh, so, Sapaya. Here, Ajahn Tanisaro has translated Sapaya as conducive. Um, Anencha Sapaya. Anencha is, uh, by both translators, they say that it is the imperturbable. And anencha is one of the uh, one of the qualities of the fourth jhana. Now, recently, on meeting with the venerable Paoksaido, uh, was having a little bit of Q and A with him, and he strongly recommended the fourth jhana, particularly as a base for insight. I just mentioned that. Um, because because he happened to say that recently, and this sutta, at least the commentary to this sutta, says that with regards to the imperturbable, that it is uh, in relationship to the uh, to the fourth jhana or the two first fine material uh, fine material uh, formless jhanas. Yes, five and six. Yes. Mm. Uh, so let's take a look at the sutta. By the way, uh, sapaya, I love this word sapaya. Uh, if anyone has ever been to Thailand or been with Thai people, uh, in Thai this word is sabai. And uh, sabai means things are comfortable, things are well, things are at ease. Uh, people would ask you, are you, are you sabai dinaka? Are you, are you staying at ease? Are you abiding, are you abiding at ease? And um, mm, then they might might reply yes if they were. Uh, Sapaya and Pali means when things are rightly matching, uh, suitable, appropriate. It's an appropriate, uh, suitable, functional um, means, well matching. Yeah. So in this case, the name of the sutta is advertising that what's laid out in it is going to be uh, suitable for uh, the, the imperturbable, yes? So conducive to the imperturbable and the way to the imperturbable. So thus have I heard, <clears throat> on one occasion the Blessed One was living in the Kuru country where there was a town of the Kurus named Kamasadama. Uh, there the Blessed One addressed the bhikkhus thus, bhikkhus, Venerable Sir, they replied, and the Blessed One said this. So for those who've read the Satipatthana Sutta, uh, you might recognize this Kuru country and uh, Kamasadama. It seems like uh, those folks there got some really great teaching. <laughs> it's like the, the kind of teaching that seems really suitable for us right now. Yes. Um, and uh, in, in this Sutta, Ananda uh, also appears. So this is... Um, Mm, at least uh, he, he appears to have to have been there, and his questions are part of what what flushes this out. So it begins at two bhikkhus, sensual pleasures, sensual pleasures, 
And uh, in this case, uh, I, I looked at the Pali, and what's being said is sensual pleasures here is with regards the perception or conception or mental fabrication, the idea, the idea of sensual pleasures. Okay? Um, because sensual pleasures are impermanent, uh, hollow, false, deceptive, they're illusory, uh, the, the prattle of fools. Uh, sensual pleasures here and now and sensual pleasures in lives to come. Uh, sensual perceptions, here we have sensual perceptions here and now and uh, sensual perceptions in lives to come. Because in fact, with regard sensual pleasures, uh, where do we know them? How do we experience them? Where does the, you know, where does the, the longing or the experience of gratification or non-gratification, the, the power, the vipawa, in terms of the craving, in terms of the tanha, where, where is that happening? Is that actually happening with, yeah. So, you know, there were these beautiful flowers on my desk and I looked this morning and I saw wilted. They had been so lovely standing up so nicely and this morning all but one flower. Yes? Now, in nature, in nature, is that an abnormal thing? No. <laughs> Are there any flowers that that doesn't happen to that grow in nature? Even the artificial flowers, I've seen how they fade and they gather dust and, <laughs> and all of this, you know, and then aren't like this was supposed to be satisfactory for a longer time and yet it's getting bleached out by the sun and this kind of thing. So I, I thought at that moment, ah, you know, this is something, uh, I, I remember a friend with her wedding, the flowers were all perky and good, but by the afternoon and reception time, phew, so disappointing. <laughs> she was going to get the florist. <laughs> this is not supposed to happen. <laughs> the, the preservative that's supposed to really last to make it like, you know, a, a thing of eternal beauty. <laughs> it didn't last quite long enough <laughs> for, for satisfaction in that regard. So I was thinking, this is nature. This is just nature. And with that thought, with regards nature, then the formation of disappointment, the formation of dissatisfaction, the formation of wishing it to be otherwise, longing it to be otherwise, you can watch how it just evaporates. How it evaporates. It's quite amazing. If you haven't noticed that for yourself, I would really suggest that as a practice. If you see something and it's like, oh, the flowers have faded. <sighs> and uh, you feel that tightness in your chest and in your belly. And it's like, we're talking about, uh, you know, what is, what is sapaya? It's like, uh, you know, comfortable, at ease, conducive. Going against nature is one of the things that's considered to be just the opposite, Yes. Uh, means that sure, pretty sure to cause stress. Um, so it, there's mention that the sensual pleasures are impermanent, 
the part about hollow, false, deceptive, illusory. Um, my sense is the things like the flowers make no promise. That is something that is fabricated in our minds. And to my mind, it is that very fabrication. If it's not a true fabrication, a false fabrication is one of which it is right to say it is hollow, it is false, it's deceptive, it's illusory. If it were a true, if it were in accordance with truth, would it be appropriate to say that? No. It's the false ideas, the false promises. In this case, it says uh, sensual perceptions. And this is a place where for sanya, I don't particularly like perception um, because it's, it's more of a, a concept than a percept. Uh, it, it's, it's an idea. Yeah. So it is a mental formation. Yeah. Uh, so sensual perceptions here and now and sensual perceptions in lives to come. By the way, here I took a look at the Pali and uh, uh, the commentary does say in lives to come. Uh, however, the, uh, the Pali itself speaks about here and now and in the future. It means here and now and not only here and now, but we can expect it to be so in the future as well. Um, in our, our future abodes, or if you look at dependent origination in terms of very momentary, and birth is happening, birth and becoming, becoming and birth is happening on a momentary basis, like the birth of an idea, the birth of a concept, then you would see that, you could see that as, you know, those, those becomings, those, those births happening with the, the rise and fall of a thought or an idea, um, with, the, with the death of that concept, then and in this case, hopefully the death of the false, what is it? The death of the false, deceptive, hollow, vain, illusory concept. Yes, then that allows for the, the arising in that that allows for the arising of another. So it says that uh, both alike, both alike are Mara's realm, Mara's domain, Mara's bait, Mara's hunting ground. Uh, in terms of dependent origination in, um, mm, uh, in the very momentary uh, basis, as we were just speaking about, like being born into a state of being and coming to death in the state of being, um, this this would be one, this would be one in which we could uh, what is it? We could see this, but uh, Mara's domain here, uh, I think, has another meaning. So, if you have any serious questions that arise as we're reading, I would like to welcome you to uh, uh, to raise your hand or fold your palms and uh, and and to ask. So. Uh, Mara literally means death. For those of you who didn't make the connection between what I was saying, and the, the Buddhist texts recognize different kinds of Mara. Uh, Mara meaning death, also Kilesa Mara. It's like the Mara of the defilements that are in our, uh, that, that may or may not be present 
in our mind. Um, the Mara of, that connects to the Mara of the, the hindrances. Yeah. As well as uh, that station in the cosmos that Anushka was speaking about, uh, of who is not, not president of the United States or, uh, of, or king of Jordan, uh, but who has that, that role, who is who's taking the turn to wear the Mara hat due to their karmic affinities and interest in such. Um, so this ground, these types of these types of uh, perceptions, or or concepts, is being said to be uh, here and now, as well as also, furthermore, uh, a ground where Mara can hook, snag catch, trap, means where we can get caught, where we can get trapped, uh, where we can easily enter into suffering. So it says here, on account of them, these evil unwholesome mental states such as covetousness, uh, Venerable Tanisaro here has greed, Covetousness, ill will, and presumption arise. And um, uh, Venerable Tanisaro here has, um, what is it, not presumption, uh, but conflict, I think, contention here. And that seems like a really reasonable translation as well. So it's like greed, ill will, or desire and ill will, and that leading to contention. And that can lead to uh, conflict within ourselves. And it can lead to conflict um, between uh, individuals, between groups, between countries. Say the battle over resources. Like who is going to get that Arctic oil? Why do we want that? Do we really need it? To my mind, there's a big difference between craving that is like um, the craving that we have in the body when we become hungry and we, we need food and craving that is like for things that are not actually necessary. But we build up the sanya, the, the whole, this whole concept, this whole idea uh, of, of why something is needed, like why I really need that outfit. My closet is full, but I need it. <laughs> How does that idea get built up? Yes, and then the aversion to everything in my full closet. I don't have a full closet, but I've seen how even in monastic life it can happen that, like, oh, these old robes, you know, and look, someone else has got the katina robe <laughs> looking <laughs> well, <laughs> well dressed now, and, you know, how, how subtle, how insidious these things can be for the mind to enter into even a little bit of craving, like, oh, if I were to receive a robe like that. 
Oh, be careful, be careful. Not what I entered into monastic life for, yes. <laughs> and yet, how subtle, how insidious these things can be. Please don't feel I'm saying all oh, monastics are free of these things. Yes, the monastic life is designed in our discipline to help us to become free from these things. But these tendencies can be so subtle and insidious, you know. Great to bring mindfulness to them. Really excellent. I find as much as we bring mindfulness to them, our suffering gets reduced. It's amazing. Yeah. We become more sensitive also to what is suffering. Sometimes we shut ourselves off so it's like there's suffering, but we, we make ourselves blind because we don't know how to deal with it. And so then we don't, it's like we feel it, but we don't feel it. We don't look at it, don't want to see it because we don't know how. Yeah. I, I hope you will clarify something. In, in reading the sense pleasures this yeah. morning, I was in my room. I am cold natured. It had been cold out. Huh. And I, I don't have my coat here for various reasons. So I have a, somebody else's coat, very thin. I found that I was, it felt like I was almost craving or attached to an unpleasure in the future if I go out. I will be cold. And it's almost like there in my warm room, I was tightening up ahead of time. Mm. Uh, just the thought of being outside. And yeah. then I thought, is this attachment to an unpleasure? Or is that, what is it? Ah, uh, a question of what is it when we're, uh, uh, when we're thinking about something that may happen in the future, anticipating that we'll, it will be suffering, and it's suffering already just because of that anticipation. <laughs> How often does that happen? Very, very often, yes. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, occasionally it may happen. I've had it happen that I expected it to be cold, and, and then it wasn't. And what was that suffering all about <laughs> in anticipation? Yes? So this is exactly about the sanya, sanya part of, of it, the sanya and sankara part. That is, there's a, there's a fabrication happening. And that fabrication is causing stress. Um, Kirtan said tightness. So it's like physical dukkha is happening even though you're still in the warm room because you're imagining going out into the cold. And this is a place, you know, imagination in terms of sanya and sankara. Imagination is so important. It's so very important. So much of what we do with this practice is using that, that faculty, using that faculty, learning how to use it in a really wholesome and helpful way. Like with the Brahma Viharas yesterday, we are imagining. But that imagination has its effects on the body and mind. It has its effects on consciousness. Consciousness can actually expand and become big in terms of grasping. You know, this is driven by our mind. There is the idea to grasp even at a, a, a low level, yes? And there is also the practice of letting go. I was thinking, um, listening, to, uh, listening to the teaching last night, uh, I spent a year with Upadana, independent origination. Actually, I planned, I planned a year 
and it ended up being more. I still work with this part. But just just to look at grasping and identify where there is where there is grasping, where there is clinging, where there is attachment happening, and upon seeing it to practice letting go, to practice releasing as a kind of a main main practice for an entire year. Yeah. I feel like it was really worthwhile to do. You know, that, that focus in on the 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 aspects of the chain of, of dependent origination. Yeah. So that, that grasping, that binding up, often we can find it in the body because there's a sense of tightness somewhere. Like what is this about? What is the holding? And can it be can it be released? Can it can it be allowed to open up? And, uh, and let go. Often it's narrow, constricted, contracted, like this practice with the Brahma-viharas, uh, the divine abidings, as the four immeasurables. This is a way of practicing expanding, expanding our mind. Yeah? Really consciously learning to expand our mind. And in this particular sutta, this becomes really, really important. Let's go ahead. Um, so, covetousness, ill will, and contention arise and they constitute an obstruction to the noble disciple in training. So this is very important to see for ourselves, I think, how when our, when our minds get bound up on things, whether that becomes an obstruction to our well-being, our ease, our peacefulness. What, what happens? What happens? Uh, for who has developed a really good meditation practice, if your mind gets bound up in something, are you able to go into your meditation deeply in, before there is unbinding? Please. Um, I just wanted to make sure the the, the the sensual pleasure that we're talking about, just to really specify here, it's not the Vedana, it's not the actual sense experience, it's mm-hmm. the mental fabrication, the perception of sankhara, the, the sanya and the sankhara. In this case, it's uh, the word is kama. Oh, it's the... Here, as, uh, and kama sanya. So, uh, this is a different kama, by the way. Notice there should be only one M here. Uh oh, two M's. Uh oh. <laughs> there is a kind of close association between the two. In this case, only one M. Like in the, if you've ever heard of the uh, Kama Sutra, uh, the Kama Sutra uh, is like sometimes known as the Sex Sutra. Uh, arises out of Hinduism, uh, and that one, K-A-M-A. Yeah. Uh, so this is about uh, sensual, uh, well, with tanha there, sensual desire, sensual craving. Um, so therein, because a noble disciple considers thus, sensual pleasures here and now and sensual pleasures in lives to come, constitute an obstruction to a noble disciple in training here. Suppose I were to abide 
with a mind abundant and exalted. Do you recognize this from what we chanted yesterday? Abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will, I will abide with a mind, heart of loving kindness, compassion, appreciation, equanimity. Yeah. Uh, I checked to see if the Pali words were the same as in that chant. Yes, indeed they are. Yes. Um, and the way that I've learned about this, uh, there are two ways that the mind uh, so uh, like uh, unbinds and becomes expensive. Two, two main practices um, that uh, we may cultivate uh, that fall into the uh, pavana, pavana category. Um, one is that of the Brahma Viharas as the four immeasurables, cultivating them as the four immeasurables, as in the chant that we practiced yesterday. Uh, when the mind, when that actually becomes beyond big but actually unbounded, that is termed in the suttas a liberation of the mind that becoming unbounded, immeasurable, not just really big, but like beyond our ability to hold a line, to hold a limit on it, getting beyond that. So that that, that making of lines, that making of delineations, that making of self and other, that, that unbinds in this, yes? The other place where this happens is with the arupajanas, formless jhanas, deep meditation, um, infinitude of consciousness, infinite light, even nothingness, nothingness, sometimes also called emptiness, because with there not being any, any kind of formal object uh, for the mind to grasp on, and by grasping to limit itself, then there is that, that spaciousness, that, that level of unbinding. Still at that time, uh, perception perception and feeling, perception and consciousness, uh, still those, those are still objects of mind, yes? So let's go on a little further. Suppose I were to abide with a mind abundant and exalted, having transcended the world and made a firm determination with the mind. So here, having transcended the world, you have an assistant. Hmm. Uh, having transcended the world is commentarial. This is a rare place where uh, something from the commentary in Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation has actually got into the, got into the translation itself. Uh, it does say transcended the world in the commentary. Uh, but as far as I can tell, the sutta itself doesn't say that. But... Uh, what it does say is with regards, you know, what is it, those, those objects of sensory pleasures, 
those objects of sensory gratification, those objects that we apply our uh, tanha, our thirst, to in the material world, means those, those objects. So, with talking about clothes, that could be considered one of those objects. In this case, actually, even the body, even the body itself. I don't know if you notice or not, but uh, like practicing with the, um, with, with deeper meditation, whether it's with the four immeasurables or uh, even a level of mindfulness tending into concentration, that the sense of the body disappears. The, the self-image of the body disappears. For some people, this is scary. Personally, I feel like it's a kind of taking a weight off the shoulders or something. It seems light. Yeah. Um, so entering into then deeper meditation or expensiveness of mind, as long as the mind is uh, like glommed, glommed onto or making identifications with regards form and feeding in that ground, then without letting go of that, uh, to a degree, this expansiveness of, of mind may not be possible. So there's the withdrawing from that uh, tanha and upadana, that is the craving and the attachment from that, from that ground. Like if something were plugged in, like unplugging it from that outlet. And in this case, the Buddha spoke about this as like um, in two ways. One is um, old style of bridge uh, made of boards, each one being a step or made of stones, a really stepping stones, a really solid bridge. That uh, this is like uh, step by step. It's also called weaning. So as children, um, we start to take, hopefully, I've heard that mother's milk, if possible, is the very best thing for babies, that it's a very subtle and highly refined food, even in its natural state. So the child starts with uh, the milk from the mom, if that's possible, and then gradually is weaned off of that and onto other food. You know, baby food is also like highly refined, really well cooked, very, very soft, very, very subtle uh, in comparison to then the, the, what would be called the coarser or the grosser food um, that you start to take when you, uh, when you get bigger, yeah? And so there's the weaning off. In this case, it goes the opposite direction. So it's like weaning our craving off of the gross food onto what is more subtle, more refined, more expansive, and to what gives deeper and deeper and more refined qualities of joy that are not dependent upon things that are, um, what is it, like depend upon whether we have money or not, or, you know, 
the nature of the flowers. Or... So these, these more subtle states of mind that you experience in your meditation, they're also impermanent, yes? And yet, if you learn to develop access to these states of mind, you can, you can access them at any time. So it's not that we're to, to wean ourselves off of, uh, uh, off, off of the, what is it, the chocolate cake without there being any reward. In this case, <laughs> and, and just go into you know, dryness and... Uh, uh, although, although uh, there is is talk with the dry vipassana practice, that in some ways it's like without the without the samatha, uh, without the you know the the really the the calm, the beauty, the joy, the happiness, the clarity, the tranquility uh, that there is in the samatha practice by just by insight, knowledge alone, and the practice of restraint to do this sometimes called like with the dry dry insight practice so some people can do this and some people will flourish with this uh, and the the majority in the Buddhist teaching it said for the majority it's good we <laughs> uh, it's like with Weight Watchers having the cake without the sugar in it or something <laughs> it's like we need we need something to help wean us off where there needs to be some gratification and in this case the the type of pleasure that is available in the practice of this path is uh, said to be and I would agree uh, so much more more subtle, so much more beautiful, so much more refined. It's like once you get a taste of that, the other seems pale in comparison. Yeah. So there's a story about um, about the Buddha's uh, half brother uh, who wasn't so interested in entering into monastic life. Uh, at some time, and uh, was engaged to be married to a very fine lady, and uh, who he definitely had sensual desire for. It's it's stated pretty explicitly, and he's really looking forward to getting married. And um, uh, so, according to the story, the Buddha is supposed to have transformed transported him by his psychic power to a particular level of one of these fantastic heavenly realms uh, where he saw and told him, if you develop this meditation that I'm teaching, this, this, this type of practice that I'm teaching, then this is possible for you. And he saw in that heavenly realm that like according to his desire, there were so many ladies who were far more fine. <laughs> So it's kind of a crude story in a way, yeah? <laughs> but it, it's going to right where his mind is at and then lifting it just just a bit, just a bit. It's like, if you're willing to do this, there is this reward. And, and how, how do all of these compare to that lady now? And this is, sorry about the grossness of his mind at that time, but he's like, oh, dump her. <laughs> And these are far more fantastic. If by following what you teach, I can get them, I'll do it. Yeah. 
<laughs> he was like that. <laughs> and how many of us have been so as well, <laughs> with various kinds of things, yes? Uh, various kinds of things. And uh, so then he practiced with that, uh, with that meditation. And practicing with that meditation, uh, as the Buddha instructed, thinking that he was going to get this fantastic, like all these heavenly nymphs reward, he, but he fully practiced with the Buddha's instructions. He actually, amazingly, it's like, even such as this, not only mass murderers, but even such as this, <laughs> he became an arahanta, strictly practicing the instructions that the Buddha gave him. And the Buddha was a little bit tricky in this regard because he gave him really proper instructions for being able to really fully pass out of all suffering and and distress. And when he developed that meditation practice, heavenly nymphs, nothing. got the real goods now. <laughs> um, but compared to that even, and this is the weaning off to what is more beautiful, more joyful, more subtle, more refined, even compared to that, the bliss of complete release, of complete unbinding, with no further coming back into attachment and craving again, he said, no comparison. So, uh, I would like to uh, uh, I would like to say that um, I don't consider it necessary for us to complete this sutta to be successful today. <laughs> so. Um, back to three. <laughs> Suppose I were to abide with a mind abundant and exalted, having transcended the world. That's the, the crude worldly basis of consciousness, yes. Um, and made a firm, firm determination with the mind. When I do so, there will be no more evil, unwholesome mental states, such as covetousness, uh, ill will, and I, I'm retranslating here based on Ajahn Tanusro, uh contentiousness in me. And with the abandoning of them, my mind will be unlimited, immeasurable, and well-developed. So this is, in terms of concepts and ideas, this is introducing what could be a new concept or coming back to a concept that you're already familiar with, an uh, effective, effective concept. Once there is full confidence, oh, I'm sorry, when he practices in this way and frequently abides thus, his mind acquires confidence in this base. So in this case, this is like the confidence, trust, trustworthiness, faith that comes from one's own experience. In this case, one's own fluency 
That is, we're developing uh, the mind in this way and it's becoming fluent in this practice. The mind is so trainable, so very trainable. It's really amazing. All of those habits that seem like they're set in stone, actually so impermanent, so ephemeral, just a little bit of effort years of habits, even two or three days of working on them in a concentrated way, start to shift, start to change. Sometimes even a single moment of bringing attention to them and already it starts to shift, unbind. Such an amazing thing. These things can seem so hard and yet so ephemeral. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.